Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Welcome to our number two of the first day, the WIBC Sunday Magazine show. We're brought to you by Greg Cooper and Lisa Phillips, who just left the building. Uh, truly, truly the best in the business when it comes to real estate. They are real estate consultants with Crossroads Collective at Compass Realty, CrossroadsCollectiveHomes.com. Did you hear what they said as they were leaving? They said the best thing is that when they call somebody who's purchased a house through them two years later, they say, do you want us to come in and, and somebody wants to tear out a wall and say, no, 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 you don't want to do that. Not just yet. But they're consultants. They, yeah. they even if you don't buy or don't sell with them, they are they're there to help. They and really they are, really, and they really truly mean that. They it. really truly mean that with their heart. If you just have questions or you need some help with something, they'll do that for you. Yeah. Uh, that's why they're they're in my book, Denny's book, the very best. Uh, that's Denny Smith. I'm Terry Stacy. Kylan's out today. Graham Shear is here. He just took a big gulp of something. I don't know if he needed that. It's but, just water. Oh, it's just water. Graham, so Graham's young. Graham's 21 years young. Remember when we were 21? Mm -mm. I don't even remember. It has been so long ago. But you're a UND student? I am, yep. I'm a senior. Senior this year? Oh, big deal. Huh? What do you want to do when you're done? Well, I'm big into sports broadcasting, but uh, I'm considering possibly getting into sales. Oh, Denny says always. Everybody's in sales, whether they know it or not. But yeah. you've got the natural personality for it. The question is, can you take an ass chewing and keep going? <laughs> That—that's what sales is all about. Because not everybody's happy. No, but, and know, I'm not thick-skinned enough. Anymore. I know. <laughs> I would cry in a minute. Yeah. I hate rejection. But you're in radio. I know, but that's I don't have an to unforgiving... see anybody to reject me. Yeah. I do, they can reject me in private. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see you looking at me and rejecting me anyway. <laughs> But, but uh, anyway, uh, I'm glad you're here. Hope you enjoy being with us for a little while. I am. Kylan's out, but um, coming up before she left, she spoke with one of the Indie Shorts Film Festival filmmakers. I think that's right, isn't it, Graham? Was it a filmmaker? Yeah. I think so. She left us a piece, and that festival starts on Tuesday, and we'll hear her conversation coming up in just a few minutes. Happy National Ice Cream Day. Oh, I like that. Except- I do, too. Wow. You know what? Average Americans eat four gallons a year. Are you a sherbet, sorbet? I like it um, all. Gelato, ice cream. Which one do you do love you it all? You do love Especially it all. Especially when I discovered gelato a few years ago. Oh boy, Graham, you ever had the gelato? Mm-mm. That's a good Italian thing. They they figured cream. it out. They Heavy did. cream, I think, is what makes that know. so rich and delicious. We're gonna get you some gelato. Absolutely no sugar at all. Really? Oh no, oh, no. Healthy too. <laughs> Come on, Terry, work oh, with right. me here. I, I, I was I'm happy gonna... about when I heard you say that. <laughs> no. You know, Denny knows everything. <laughs> no, there's sugar. So I trusted that. Uh, I a... want to uh, thank everybody who stopped by my booth on Thursday here on Monument Circle. But in general, for those of you that supported the American Dairy Indiana's uh, ice cream social on the circle, over $5,200 were raised for the Boys and Girls Clubs that day. So thank you very much. Denny? And, and some of those folks, yeah, I, I will say that on the circle, we have Spark. And there's a lot of people who are kind of grouchy about it because of other things that are going on in Indianapolis. Don't let that get you. Come down here and enjoy it. It really is kind of fun to watch it's the families. A lot they're, of families they're having a ball down, down there. Even on a Sunday, we see them down here. So don't think about the tax dollars. Uh-uh. Don't think about anything else about Indianapolis. Just come down and have fun. Just come down and have a good time. We would love that. Uh, by the way, I just want to mention this because it, it is not only ice cream time, but it's corn on the cob time. And there, this is sweet corn picking time. And we uh, we have 
luckily, if you go to a farmer's market or, you know, you're supporting your Indiana farmers, your corn farmers, your all your farmers, but the corn right now, it, the sweet corn, I think, is better than it's ever been. Oh, my. Ever. Haven't had it yet. It is so good. And I got some the other day from a farmer down the way. And here's my suggestion. I learned this. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've been eating donuts. A bunt pan, you know, like a cake, like bunt, a bunt can. Cake. This mm-hmm. is the perfect way to remove the kernels from your corn on the cob if you like to freeze it, you know, you want to store it away. Really? So you take your, your corn, you shuck the husks off, right. then you take your corn and you leave a little bit of your stem. So now you've got your, your corn on the cob, shucks are gone, little bit of stem, put that in the hole, the center hole of your bunt pan. Now you take your knife and you run it, you know, up and down to cut the kernels oh, off. Oh, so you're just and it falls holding it right down into your bunt pan, and it's not everywhere. And that circle in your middle of your bunt pan is a great hole that keeps the corn stable while you're slicing Look the corn off the cob. Look at you, huh? That's a Betty Crocker moment right there, folks. I'm telling you, it works. And if you're you're into freezing your corn for the winter that you pick today or that you get today from your mar- farmer market, farmer's market, that's the way to do it. They do have some new combs that are just a sharp blade and you hold it they and, do. You, and you pull it off. But I like your way better. This is just something at home and it's free if you have a bunt pan. Uh, so there's my, there's my uh, hack uh, advice for the day. If you are out today, don't forget we have the air quality alert. Throughout Indiana, that's Shark bringing Tank. In the are you going to do Shark Tank? Are you going? Shark Tank, ladies and gentlemen. Shark Tank is tomorrow at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It's an open call. You get one minute to present your great idea. What's your great idea? Nothing. He's Denny. Blank. I have I, nothing. Nothing. I, I'm sorry. Pat Sounds Sullivan like you has might, a though. great idea. No, I, you know, Sullivan my always ideas has always... great ideas, but he, you know, sometimes he's out there in La La Land. <laughs> Well, you can take your idea. Take your bunt cake. Take, take your, your bu- bunt cake. Well, there, there you go. You know, you get this one minute to pitch your ideas to a cast member, and if you wow them, then you'll be invited onto the show, and maybe leaving away a millionaire. But you do need to complete a short application, so just go to abc.com/shows/shark-tank. And as long as you arrive during the allotted wristband distribution time, which is 9 to 11 tomorrow at the Speedway, and you've got your application that you filled out, you wait, and you may have to wait a long time, but you'll get in. Interviews will start at 10 Terry, tomorrow. there are people who believe that, that this is for real, and there are people who think that this is all baloney. I don't know. Where are you in it? Because- I'm not, but I think it's good. I, I mean, I, re- I watch Shark Tank, not all the time. But some of those ideas, I'm like, ah, why didn't they think of that? Yeah, you know, that that's an idea. You know, the best ideas have always been built, been born out of need. You know, you think of an idea when you need something. The, the thing I like about this is <clears throat> it's mostly idea driven instead of invention driven. Yeah, and there might be some inventions, but inventions you got to go through trademarks, you got to go right. through all this type of stuff. This is more idea driven, and I think they really reinforce that and congratulate people in a nice way. Whether they accept them on the show or not, they're usually pretty pro- positive. Yeah, they really are. I mean, oftentimes they'll just help you say, you know, we can't really help you, but you need to do this before you really get, you yeah. know, you've got things you need to work on before we can we can help you. It's really, uh, it's Shark Tank, and it's coming to Indianapolis. They're coming for a reason. We must have a lot of great idea people here, a lot of creativity. So that's tomorrow if you'd like to go out and wow them.
beginning bright and early at 9 in the morning. Thank you all so much for joining us here. This is the first day. Kylan Talley coming up with an interview she did regarding Indie Film Fest, or the Indie Shorts, which starts this week. Right here on 93 WIBC. It's 12.20 on a Sunday. This is the first day show. Brought to you by Greg Cooper and Lisa Phillips. Real estate consultants with Crossroads Collective at Compass Realty. CrossroadsCollectiveHomes.com. Terry Stacy, Denny Smith, Graham Shear is here. He's filling in for Kylan Talley, who's out today. But before she left, she had a chance to talk to, I believe, a filmmaker as we get set for Indie Shorts coming up this week. Heartland Films Indie Shorts Film Festival is right around the corner. It's July 18th through the 23rd. That's this Tuesday through next Sunday, which means six days packed full of 29 different short film programs, including ESPN's film programs, the high school film competition, and plenty of other categories that you can go and choose different films from. My personal favorite category is the Indiana Spotlight. And this year, there's two of them, which means we get to highlight filmmakers here in Indiana and we get to talk to one of them, Rocky Walls. He's the director and co-founder of 12 Stars Media. He's the director and producer of two different short films chosen for the Indiana Spotlight program, Fleeing Silesia and Gun Control. Rocky, thanks for taking some time out of your day to be with us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Can we start off talking about the gun control film? Will you run us through the background of this and kind of just a summary of what this film is about? Yeah, so this film, um, like many of the films that uh, we produce at 12 Stars Media, um, our documentary film company is very character driven. And we met this character, his name's Brian Presnell. He's an artist, he's an urban lumber uh, furniture maker. He recycles urban lumber in Indianapolis. And we wanted to follow him and explore his journey as he tried to find urban lumber or trees that are felled in the city and, and turn them into something productive instead of just burning or mulching them. And we followed him around for about 18 months and made a feature documentary called I'm Be Prez, which is sort of how he signs his artwork. During the time of filming that particular piece, this story of gun violence related trauma came up, but it never felt right or it never felt resolved enough to put in that film and then his business really went through some challenges he lost his mother to covid there were a lot of things that happened that sort of threw him in a self-evaluation state that was really good for him really healthy and one of the things that happened was that he found some peace and found a way to reconcile a lot of the trauma that had happened relating to gun violence when he was a child and so we revisited that and we asked him about how he used art therapy to come to a peaceful state with the experiences he had as a child. He was actually able to go back and find the actual gun that was a part of his childhood trauma, and he made it into an art piece. He actually cast a iron cage around it and basically made it so that no one could ever physically touched or grabbed the gun and use it again. And then he threw it into Lake Michigan and let it sink to the bottom of the lake. This all was sort of symbolic of him being able to take what had happened to him as a child and basically through art, through the process of refining the iron and casting the iron cage and traveling to Chicago and then getting rid of this thing was both symbolic and literally 
a way to deal with the trauma that he had as a child. And I know Brian personally to see the transition of having that childhood trauma, having stuck with him for so long, for decades and decades, and then being able to sort of release that is an amazing transformation. And being able to capture that and share that in a short film is really powerful. And so I know that not everyone who watches it will be able to understand and feel it to the depths that I've been able to, having spent the last two or three years with Brian. But I hope that in the short film, people can see how powerful art therapy can really be and how important it is to find a way, whatever your way is, to deal with the trauma that you may or may not have, whether it's childhood trauma or, or any other kind of trauma. I think it's a powerful piece that whether gun control or gun violence is something that you feel affects you in your day to day or not, I feel like it's a powerful piece when it comes to addressing trauma and addressing some of these really challenging issues that we face today. And art therapy is one really powerful way to do that. And I think this film shows that really well. I'm really happy that you took on this story to tell not just Brian's story, but to give us all something to relate to or learn from. I'm talking with director and producer from 12 Stars Media, Rocky Walls, and he also has another film in the Indiana Spotlight Program within the Indie Shorts Film Festival coming up, and that is called Fleeing Silesia. Rocky, can you explain what this film is in comparison? Yeah, so Fleeing Silesia is all about one family and their journey to escape Germany during the end of World War II. And so there was a lot happening on the Eastern Front with the border between Germany and, and Russia um, and what would become you know, parts of Poland. You almost never hear about any of that. This particular family is actually uh, Indiana residents now. They actually reached out to us and asked us if we could help share their legacy of leaving Eastern Germany, this state called Silesia, which is no longer in existence other than sort of in the memories of the people who once lived there. And what I mean by that is that back then, borders shifted a lot. And, and in the U.S., like most of us don't think about that, right? We think about like maps and globes, like that's just the way it's always been, right? But like, no, during World War II, borders were shifting and changing and at the end of World War II, when Germany you know, had lost, the Soviet forces kind of came in and basically swept over the eastern borders. And you know, I'm not you know, a historian, I'm not a geography major, but parts of eastern Germany would eventually become Poland and become uh, not Germany anymore, right? And so you could be in your hometown in Germany, in the state of Silesia, specifically, where this story takes place and basically be evicted from your home. Or if you decided to stay, you could be interned in a camp and forced to work. So you had this really sort of interesting and, and unfortunate refugee crisis within the German states on the Eastern border that were very serious and very sad and very life-threatening. This particular family found themselves in a situation where they had lost their home. They were trying to evacuate Eastern Germany, um, kind of accepting the fact, dealing with the fact that the place where they called home, the place where generations of their family had called home would never even be Germany again, and figuring out what to do with the rest of their lives and how to get out with their lives. And so um, we, were, we were particularly interested in this story because it's a part of World War II history that you don't hear a lot about. And what I think we appreciated and why we wanted to tell the story so much is that you realize the impact that individuals can have 
on people who are in incredible crisis situations like this, right? If they're in a, a refugee crisis type situation and you hear about just one person who tries to, to help or make a difference and how much of an impact that can make, it can literally save lives and then continue through generations. And that's exactly what happened with this family. And so I think it's a story worth telling and one that we're really fortunate and, and happy to have been brought in to tell. And I think it's really, I think it's really powerful. It's really heartwarming and powerful, but it's also, I think, and, and the family also felt like it was very timely because we're hearing about and, and, and living through a, another time period where there are refugee crises occurring around the world, especially with the war in Ukraine, where it would benefit all of us, I think, to be able to stop and be reminded and consider the civilian. That's Kylan Talley and her conversation, Indy Shorts. That's coming up this week, starts on Tuesday. Thank you all so much for joining us this morning. We've got a quick break. You're listening to 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's 12.34. We're glad you're here with us this morning. This is the first day show on 93 WIBC. Where's my reminder before I get to you, Denny? Hang on one second. I just had a reminder and I lost it. Where is it? Oh, I can't <laughs> find it. Oh, I hate when I can't find something. It was just in my hand. When You You'll all don't know it. that when we take a break, I'm talking my head off. <laughs> I mean, I'm really talking my head off. Um, anyway, I wish I could thing. find it. I'll find it in a little bit. First of all, though, oh, here it is. Denny, is it okay if I do a Go reminder first just for a minute? I know you've got a special guest. Just to remind you that that public viewing for Marion County Sheriff Office, office Sheriff's Office, oh, my goodness, fallen Generally. deputy, John Durham, is at the Scottish Rite Cathedral. And that starts here at 2 o'clock today and goes until 7. And the services you'll hear about and have been hearing about in the news and that procession that will happen tomorrow. But in case you're wondering, Deputy Durham's final 1042 will be given near his memorial at the Community Justice Campus. And that moment is expected to occur between 2 and 3 p.m. tomorrow. That could change, but in case you're going to be here downtown and lining the streets as that procession comes through, just wanted to remind her. Uh, Terry Stacy, Graham Shear, Graham Shear is also here, and Denny Smith. Joining me now is an old friend of several years, and we've been discussing this whole idea of trust horizons this week. Annie, a couple of days ago, we both had a city employee contact us to tell us that there was a chemical spill event very close to our homes. But the employee said that there didn't appear to be any threat to the creek or to the pond close to our homes. In light of that discussion on trust horizons, what was your reaction to the no worries message from the city? Uh, well, it had only been a few minutes since I had actually seen them at the site. So when you told me that, I was, of course, shocked and thought, well, how would they possibly know in that amount of time? So there we go. That There was a bit of a different opinion from me. And I was hopeful, but I was suspicious. And I noticed that we had different trust horizons. I've been looking into this all week, and it made me think that a quick discussion between the two of us might just help others who are struggling with the new realities of a shrunken trust horizon. Why do you think yours is shrunk? 
I think what we've been through in the past several years has been shocking. Obviously, a once in a lifetime event, hopefully only once in a lifetime. And we've started peeling back the layers or the curtain on all different edifices that we grew up trusting. I think there are so many sources for news now that we aren't limited for what we can find. And I've been shocked. But I think my trust horizon started changing quite a long time ago, back in about 2000. And it was completely unexpected, not something I was even looking for. And it started with a book I got off the library bookshelf about homeschooling. I'm going to list a bunch of organizations, and I want you to respond to them. And it has to do with your trust factor. All right. Yes, you trust them. No, you don't trust them. And maybe you trust them. Okay, Okay. you ready? So just quick, short answers. Okay. Elected state officials? No. (laughs) Elected city officials? No. Church leaders? Sometimes. The medical community? Occasionally. Farmers? Mostly. Universities? No. Car dealers? No. My friend Annie is joining me right now, and we're exploring what are known as trust horizons and how our trust horizons have changed a lot in the last couple decades. So I'm giving her the option of yes, no, or maybe if she trusts these people. The military? The higher up? No. The lower, maybe. School administrators? No. AFL-CIO? No. Radio and TV personalities? Sometimes. The National Institute of Health, CDC, and FDA? Not at all. How about the FBI? Not at all. Local police? Mostly. Pfizer? Never. Harvard? No. China? Nope. The EPA? Absolutely not. OSHA? Nope. How about small businesses? Yes. Amazon? Amazon is sort of an amalgam of small businesses at times, so I would say that's too big of a label. Annie, I love you. You're the best. (laughs) All right. How about social media? Definitely wary. Annie, how would you describe your trust horizon? Do you think you're typical of most Americans right now? No, I don't think so. I think I'm on that far more suspicious end because I think I've been out there longer. And as I mentioned about homeschooling. It started for us a long time ago. All right. To give people a rough idea, narrow me down to how old you are between 50s and 60s. I am 59. 59. Anything else you want to share? This I appreciate you doing this because I think most Americans have noticed that they don't believe everything anymore, but they never could get their arms around why. Why do you think it's all happened to you? Um, That's actually a question I've asked myself a lot of times. I felt like I've been channeled into these really small communities for different reasons, nothing that I sought out. And I don't know why, but I became more comfortable being not the mainstream in lots of areas of my life and realized it wasn't so bad living outside the box. I think it's funny that as we get older, people think just because our trust horizons might shrink that we might become paranoid. Do you think this is paranoia? Not at all. I think it's literally eye-opening. And once, even the Bible says, you know, there's two sides to every story. And once you know something or see something, you can't go back to not seeing it anymore. Do you think we'll get it back? Do you think that our, at some point that our trust horizons will be able to expand again? I'm not sure that they will, and I'm not sure that that's a bad thing. I think the pandemic has forced us into smaller community groups, and I think there's great benefit to that, knowing where your beef is raised, knowing where your food is grown. Those are all good things. So I think there's a lot of upside to it. Joining me today has been my old friend Annie, who's just shared some things with us. Now, the question is for all of you, where are your trust horizons? That is the million-dollar question. She's terrific, Jenny. She, re- she really is. And the, the thing about Annie is that 
believe it or not, she represents about two-thirds of America right now because we've been told all these things and we don't believe it anymore. And the next interview that I was able to do this week is with a fellow by the name of John Rubino. And John is an economic analyst. He, uh, he's like me. He was a number cruncher. And he and I talked off air about what happens if we can't trust statistics anymore. The Department of Labor puts out all these st- statistics, and we heard where inflation was. And, you know, over at the University of Indianapolis, you know, the economist that is on here all the time with us, he said it was one month, and yet it's being blown up, and we are told something that is different than we can see with our own eyes. And the old question is, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? So our next interview is what happens to us as Americans if two-thirds of us don't believe what we're being told, what happens next? You're listening to The First Day on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is the First Day Show. We're brought to you by Greg Cooper and Lisa Phillips, real estate consultants with Crossroads Collective at Compass Realty, crossroadscollectivehomes.com, or check out Hoosier Home Values 2023.com to see how much your home is worth. I'm Terry Stacy. Uh, Graham Shear is here today filling in for Kylan Talley, producing the show, and of course, our friend Denny Smith. After interviewing my old friend Annie about how much her trust horizon has shrunk over the last several years, I got to thinking about how Annie and so many others just like her might be affecting other things. You see, if people don't trust authority anymore, if people don't trust institutions like the FBI, the CDC, the government statistics that we all get, economic data, if people don't trust elected officials, well, the Department of Treasury, the Federal Reserve, Securities and Exchange Commission, what does that mean to all of us downstream for the country? I tracked down somebody that I have come to appreciate as a straight-shooting, humble analyst that I have followed for more than a decade. John Rabino is a former Wall Street financial analyst. He's an author and co-author of five books. Most recently, he wrote The Money Bubble, What to Do Before It Pops. He founded the very popular financial website, dollarcollapse.com, over 20 years ago, and he sold it just last year, and now he publishes a Substack newsletter at rabino.substack.com. He's joining us right now. Hey, John, thanks for taking time to join us here on the first day. Hey, Danny, good to meet you. Hey, listen, I sent you a short interview that I had earlier with a friend of mine regarding a term that I heard you use last week called trust horizon. Now, I'm not surprised at how much distrust everyday Americans have for officialdom, institutions, the Department of Justice, but it might be best to get your definition of what trust horizon means. Well, yeah, that, that refers to um, how much trust you're willing to put into peoples and systems that are far away. In good times, when it seems like everything's being taken care of well and distant entities are doing a good job at whatever they're supposed to be doing, it's very easy to trust them, even if they're far away. For instance, the healthcare establishment says a, a vaccine is safe and effective. You give it to your kids without hesitation. The Federal Reserve says the dollar is a strong currency. You put a bunch of dollars in your bank account, you don't worry about it. And if the FDA says processed food is healthy, you know, you, you bring home frozen pizzas and feed them to your kids. And, um, a big one recently. If the FBI says someone is a criminal, then you believe it. You you believe that person broke the law. Alternatively, when those things turn out not to be true, when you see the big systems, the people running the um, the distant entities, uh, turn out to be either corrupt or incompetent, then you lose faith in them. 
and your ability to trust shrinks geographically back to more local things. You want to take control of your own food, for instance, by having a garden and buying meat and eggs and milk from local farmers. You want to um, invest very differently than you might if you absolutely trust the broker houses and the central banks of the world. You, in terms of electoral politics, you trust the people that you can see, you know, the the mayor, the city council, people like that, because you can look them in the eye and shake their hand and get a measure of them, whereas you really stop trusting the national politicians. So your, your horizon basically shrinks back to what you can see and what you can experience yourself. And you no longer put your faith in uh, things that are far away and run by people you don't know. And that's a very different world, both psychologically and economically, when when we go in that direction, because we have been lately. And we're increasingly ending up with a world where people just don't trust the big systems and the people running them, but they still do trust what's going on locally because they can judge that for themselves. The voice you hear is that of John Rabino. John is a financial analyst I've been following him for many, many years. John, and that brings up something. You and I are both experienced in the financial world. I'm beginning to wonder how all of this might affect the economy, our markets, even our currency. Any thoughts on the trust horizon with any of those things? Well, the currency might be the big one because what we have today are called fiat currencies. They aren't backed by anything. They're not exchangeable into gold or anything. So they they exist only to the extent that we trust the people who are running the financial system to be honest and competent. Uh, And if we lose faith in those people, we, by implication, lose faith in the currencies that they're running. So whereas you might have been totally comfortable keeping most of your savings in a bank account, now a lot of people are absolutely uncomfortable with that concept, and they're shifting their dollars into things like gold and silver, for instance, because they, they read somewhere or their own personal experience tells them that gold and silver are forms of money that have been around for 3,000 years and they've always held their value and governments can't make more of them. Therefore, these guys we don't trust can't screw them up. So demand for gold and silver coins is way up now because of that. People are shifting out of dollars and into, uh, into gold coins. Um, same thing with, for instance, farmland. You know, go out, go try to buy a homestead property now and find out how much it costs. Oh, <laughs> John, here in central yeah. India, if you're close to any sort of population, you're looking at $40,000 an acre. And that's incredible. Yeah. And I think when I hear things like Bill Gates is the largest landowner in America, what does that tell us as individuals? Well, it tells us that we can't trust people to run the um, the currency. We can't trust the people who are making like processed food anymore because they're poisoning us. And we can't trust cities anymore because they're run so badly that they're, they're very unstable. And civil unrest is a very real possibility in a lot of cities. Not everyone, but many cities are going to just descend into chaos if things keep going the way they are. So people are concluding from that that it would be really nice to have some land that they can control, uh, especially land that produces food because that solves two problems. It gets you away from the, um, or three problems, really. It gives you an investment that the government can't inflate away. It gets you away from the civil unrest, potentially, in cities. And it, uh, it allows you to control your own food supply. So suddenly, that's the lifestyle of choice. You know, farmers were um, kind of considered country bumpkins by the average person 30 or 40 years ago. Now, there's a a lifestyle we all aspire to. (laughs) That's how much the world has changed. Yeah, and and I think it's a healthy thing because um, being self-sufficient, controlling the big parts of your life that you're able to control, that's psychologically healthy and physically healthy and financially healthy. Those are all things we should have been doing all along. 
And finally, people are starting to figure out uh, that's the right way to live. John, it's pretty apparent that a lot of the countries across the world have a very short trust horizon with the United States. If we lose the trust of countries around us, what would that mean for us as the United States of America? Well, we are rapidly losing the trust of other countries because we we have the world's reserve currency, which gives us incredible financial power, and we've been abusing that power. Anybody who steps out of line with the dictates of the American empire gets kicked out of the the international banking system where they have their foreign exchange reserves confiscated um, by the U.S. central bank. And it goes on and on. And they're they're all frustrated uh, with us and they're all afraid of us. So you see a lot of um, other countries taking steps to bypass the whole U.S.-dominated global financial system by trading with each other in their own currencies. That's a new thing. used to be that you traded with dollars because everybody accepted dollars, and you kept your own currencies for local trade and savings and investing. But now a lot of countries are cutting bilateral trade deals where they, they just bypass the dollar and trade with their own currencies. And uh, there's a group called the BRICS country, which uh, BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, that, you know, they've been around as a concept for a long time, but they're suddenly becoming this legitimate financial block. And they're getting ready to bring out a gold-backed currency of their own. And the idea is that that will allow them to just to operate with no reference to the dollar anymore. They'll just contribute in one way or another to this new currency, and they'll use that for trade with each other, and it'll be backed by gold, so it'll be rock solid. This is a very big deal because the U.S. hates this kind of competition. It's very dangerous for the dollar to have legit competition in the currency market, uh, and we brought it on ourselves. It's our own fault that this kind of thing is happening. But, yeah, this is an example of the global trust horizon shrinking. These guys don't trust the entities running the big monetary system organizations out there because it's mainly the U.S., and they want to get closer to home and trade with their neighbors. They're doing it via a currency block. That is a potential major threat to the dollar going forward. Who can blame them? Listen, if people want to follow you, what's the best way for them to follow you? Well, I, I run a Substack newsletter at rubino.substack.com, and it covers the stuff we talked about, plus a, a lot else, including actionable investing ideas. Well, I sure appreciate you taking time. I will tell my friend Annie that I got to the bottom of this uh, Trust Horizon thing. In fact, I think I'll send her this interview. What do you think? Hi, good. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Say hi to her for me. Oh, I sure will. John Rubino from RubinoSubstack.com. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Danny. Good job, Danny. He was a good, good guy. He's a great guest. I learned a few things in that interview. Great analyst. Interviews are always Uh, so educational. I love data-driven analysts. They're, they're data-driven, and that's that's a no-baloney type of analyst right Really there. good stuff. Hey, thanks for doing it. I appreciate it. Then he does all the smartest things for us. <laughs> <laughs> I like funnel when I'm thinking about the week oh, ahead. I'm Lord. like, okay, here's, here's Denny's part. Things I'll never hear from Pat Sullivan. Everybody have a great day today. Stay safe. Thanks to all of our guests, and especially to our friends Greg Cooper and Lisa Phillips. Uh, enjoy the rest of the day. We'll be back here next week uh, to do more with the first day. Right here on 93 WIBC. Today's stories, they're coming up next. I'm easy like Sunday morning.